Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C., which is about to be turned upside down by the inauguration. Uh, with me is Nathan Fox. And how's it going, Nathan? Just fine. Uh, did you accept your invitation to perform at the inauguration? <laughs> of course. Why would I? Why would I turn that down? So it's going to be you, and there's some clean comic I saw who's who's signed up. A <laughs> clean those comic. Are, yeah, those are always really entertaining. And uh, I don't know, the Springsteen cover band didn't make it, so. <laughs> Yeah, I heard a lot of people just couldn't find tickets to fly in and perform. Oh, uh, is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. No, I think people are much more much more opposed vocally. Yeah, I don't I don't know who's not going and who is going, but I've heard that a lot of people have declined to come, which is not surprising. Yeah. Right now we are in the the strategy prep headquarters, if you will. Nice. Not much of a headquarters, but we can call it that because I guess technically it is. Uh, we are just inside of the green zone, which kind of makes me feel like something related to Baghdad. But we're inside of the green zone, which means you can't drive in without ID. But that oh, doesn't sound, wow. yeah, that doesn't sound too too hard to get through. And then there's the red zone, which is uh, of course the mall, the national mall and the white house and stuff like that. And no cars can go in there, but that's, that's all starting tomorrow at noon. So, um, you know, just, we'll have some, a little shutdown here. We're not too far from the white house. We're about, uh, five or six blocks, probably like six blocks. Are you even going to go to work those, the day of the inauguration or are you just going to? Yeah. Well, the metros, no, I'm going to come because, <clears throat> well, not the day of the inauguration. I, I don't usually go in on Friday anyway. Okay. But um, I will go tomorrow, even though the roads are shutting down tomorrow, because uh, there is still some class stuff going on at night. And we have, the metro still works and people can walk in and out. You just can't drive. And so, and we're right above a metro. Oh, that's right. I forgot that you live in a place that actually has public transportation. Yeah, at least it's supposed to have public transportation, but the metro is infamous, might be the right word, for people dying. So there, there's people who've, who've been dying on the metro recently. I mean, I guess everywhere you have some sort of public transportation, you have the risk of death. But it seems to happen too frequently here. And so they're kind of like shutting it down a little bit so that they can repair it but apparently they're they're never going to be able to bring it back to its full service because they just ran it into the ground too long Um, people wanted you know there's a problem with like things that are kind of quasi-governmental and business is that (laughs) the public wants cheap transportation but they also want it to run all the time everywhere and so i think um it's just been overrun. I'm not a metro expert, but that's my <laughs> that's my quick judgment of what's going on. I miss why people are dying on the metro. Yeah, like the train like derails and then someone dies. I mean, wow. And it seems to happen more frequently on the red line. I mean, it's not like happening every day, but it's happened enough in the past couple of years. You're just kind of like, geez, you get on the metro and you could die. That's not a that doesn't make people very happy. 
No, that doesn't seem good at all. Are you a red? Would you have to take the red line, or are you a different line? No, I'm a different line. I'm on the uh, orange line. Although, <clears throat> to be honest, I I kind of gave up on taking the metro. I used to take the metro all the time, but you have to. You get to the train station, and of course, if they're early, they don't care. They take off, and then you have to wait for the next one. And sometimes you can wait like twenty minutes, and depending yeah. on the time of day, sometimes you're waiting forty minutes because they're just like, "Oh, sorry, that train is not in service now." So you skip that one, and then you have to go in the next one. In the summer, it's so hot that you're sweating as you wait outside for the train to come. You get in the train; it's supposed to be air conditioned, but it's not really. And so then, I don't know, it's just like, it's just a nightmare. And I, I feel bad for anyone who has to take the Metro. I'm sure some people love it, but I, I can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people feel that way. You just end up with everybody then in their cars, which is, of course, what we do in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What uh, what do we have on the agenda for today? Yeah, so today we have uh, a question about scholarships from someone who I think is a splitter, uh, Timmy. And then a question from Brian, who is uh, another 30-something. Last episode was the 30-something episode, but this episode is going to have a little bit of that as well. And then I think we'll jump into some questions from the June 2007 LSAT. Did you have anything else? No, that sounds great. Um, I guess we should remind listeners about the subscription page. It's at uh, www.thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash subscribe yeah we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well but if you subscribe uh, you'll get an update every time we post a new episode anything else we should promote or talk about i don't know i was just curious about the stats we haven't talked about that in a while i know have you seen them lately or i was i had actually just kind of started pulling them up Uh, we are looking at over three hundred thousand total downloads wow all time. Yep. Yep. I think we'll hit uh, a million for sure. Next year, we'll, we would hit a million, I think, at our current pace. Hmm. I don't know. They, they actually changed this, this back end, so I can't really give my usual update here with the states and countries and all that stuff. Huh. So they don't tell us the, <clears throat> the number per state anymore. I'm pretty sure they do, actually, but I don't know where it all is because they... They like buried it. Oh, an upgrade that's not an upgrade. Well, yeah, no, it's an upgrade <laughs> that I'm sh- I'm quite sure is an upgrade. It's just not an upgrade this this moment. Yeah, okay. Now I you know I see the states and uh, California still leading, of course. Countries, China second place, Canada third place. China. Hmm. Yep. Yep. It's a big place. Lots of folks. I forgot, did we have anyone in North Korea, or did we say we didn't have anyone in North Korea? They might not collect stats for North Korea. The whole country is blanketed under some, like, fake IP address or something? Yeah. Does he, um, Do they even have internet there? I. It's unclear. I, I mean, know. I'm sure the government does, but I imagine no one has access to the internet. There's no way they could have access to the internet. Then they would know that their propaganda videos about how Americans are starving are complete i mean that is actually true there are starving americans but the way they portray it every single person here is is about to eat their last breadcrumb you know yeah no there's actually a map here i'm looking at that map now that shows country by country 
and we have a total of 2100 from the Republic of Korea which in South Korea and then mm-hmm. the uh the country right above it is showing a big fat zero <laughs> so we got we got nothing from North Korea yeah hey have you heard about Elon Musk's goal to blanket the globe with um wifi through 4000 some odd satellites uh i hope he does that that would be very awesome yeah, well, I was thinking it could create that could be a serious like that could do more than all you know all these years of politics and uh, sanctions and so forth. If you could just uh, somehow give information to a lot of these people in countries where information is controlled by for sure the yeah. government, you know, like what kind of change would that bring about? For sure. Anyways, kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean that's why you know people are su- of course super freaked out about the new president and and all the changes that have happened politically but i i still just feel like elon musk is actually in charge and, <laughs> you know i mean well because he's actually doing things yeah you know yeah. everybody else is like popping off and just fighting about stupid shit you know the whole thing of who's going to perform at the inauguration and you see a million mm-hmm. tweets about how big the the party is going to be and then everybody else all the hollywood people are saying how stupid and shitty it's going to be and it's like you know why are we talking about this Seriously, um, yeah. Elon Musk is going to build a network of satellites that's going to give every human Wi-Fi access. Like, <laughs> that's that's the <laughs> dude that's actually getting shit done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this this uh, first email from Timmy, is that right? Yeah, Timmy in quotes. So yeah, no, it's not a real Timmy. It's a fake Timmy. Fake Timmy in yeah. the era of fake news. What what does Timmy have to say? Oh, I'll read it. Um, Hi, Nathan and Ben. Found your podcast and have really enjoyed it. I would normally tell you my name at this point in the email, but I am trying to maintain my anonymity. Sorry. Okay, yeah, so that's why it's Timmy. I'm 44 years old and have an established successful career in a completely non-legal field. When I was deciding what I wanted to be when I grew up, attorney was plan B. Fortunately, plan A worked out for me. However, getting a law degree has always been on my bucket list. Whoa. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting bucket list item. Uh, yeah, that made me raise an eyebrow, I have to say. I cannot imagine why that would be on your bucket list. Anyway, I was about to enroll in an online program, but after hearing about the scholarship money that might be available, I thought I'd give the accredited school shot, uh, school route a shot and started studying for the LSAT. Hold on. Wait, yes. an online program that's it's kind of like he's suggesting it's not accredited. Yes, or that's going to be like a, um, you know, accredited by the state bar, but not accredited by the ABA. Oh, okay. I didn't know about those things. Can you really check a law degree off your bucket list if you get it from a non-accredited program or only yeah, a state? And, <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, because I would think if it's on your bucket list, it's because you watched the paper chase and you want that full-on experience, right, of the scary professor cold calling you and... That's why law school's on your bucket list, I would imagine. I, I would assume so. I, I yeah. guess I'm uh, maybe maybe Timmy is inspired by the pure intellectual joy of learning about the law, and therefore an online program in behind his computer screen is enough. Could be great, but I mean, for that matter, why do you need to get any certification at all? And instead of doing an online program, why don't you just start reading Wikipedia and every book you can get your hands on and go sit in on trials? And I mean, I don't know. I feel like you could learn so much about the law without paying anybody to 
give you yeah. a JD. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what the JD does for anybody except for, you know, I, I don't know. Sometimes people just want to have something check off the box, stroke their own ego kind of thing. Yeah. And speaking of that, I, dude, I got some emails a, a week or two ago that were very confusing to me. Some woman wanting to take the LSAT because the LSAT is allowed as part of your Mensa application. I'm sorry, what, what's that? Mensa? Have you heard of Mensa? M-E-N-S-A, Mensa? It's like an organization that, you know, basically accredits smart people. Like you're, it's, it's basically just like a, a club for geniuses or something. Oh. But I don't know what benefits it has other than just being able to say that you're in Mensa. Hmm. Anyway, okay. she took an IQ test, she said, and she didn't score high enough on that for her Mensa membership. And so she was like trying to prep for the LSAT so that she could get into Mensa. Whoa, the LSAT. So I wonder what the score is. Maybe you have to get a 180 or maybe you can get like a 170. Who knows? Maybe maybe we're already Mensa's, Mensa member, members. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. And I didn't have the heart to say it to her in this email, but I was like, you know, I... So I guess what you're saying is I could be a Mensa member if I wanted, but I don't want to. So wait, remind me again why you're going to take LSAT prep so that you, <laughs> what? what are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Anyways, um, let's assume that Timmy, you know, has good reasons for wanting to get a JD. Sure. That don't okay. have anything to do with practicing law, but he wants just because it's a bucket list thing. All right. Since full-time study is not an option for me, the schools I am considering are the Hamlin Hybrid Program, I have no idea what that is, mm -hmm. and a few accredited but lower-tiered schools in my area, like Lewis and Clark, Willamette, Seattle U, possibly. Okay. 20-plus uh, years ago, I took the LSAT and got a 155 cold. After hatching this crazy idea this past September, my first practice test was a 152! Exclamation point. What do you think about that? Uh, it's not a it's not a bad starting score. Um, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good starting score. I was uh, questioning the choice of the exclamation point right there. Because <laughs> I... Hey, I'm not going to comment on anyone's email anymore. <laughs> I was interpreting that as like he was surprised that it had gone down or something, or or I I don't know. Anyway, one fifty five oh. and one fifty two. You know, a cold 155 and then 20 years later, take it again and get a 152. There's nothing remarkable about that in the slightest. That's just, that's what you would expect, right? I mean, I guess it speaks to the standardization of the test. Um, yeah. Despite its changes. Yeah. Yeah. Those are two extremely close scores. Uh, so yeah, this guy hasn't changed that much and the test hasn't changed that much in 20 years. Yeah. Okay. I started studying and going into the December 16 test, I was averaging a 158 with a freak 162. Again, that's not a freak 162. That's just, if you can score 158, you can also sometimes score 162. That's just how yeah. it works. There's a yeah. lot of variance, a lot of variance, like plus or minus five, you know, it was pretty, I was working with a tutoring student last night who was kind of shocked that he had gotten a 178 and then a 168. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's a 173 plus or minus five. Yeah. So that's not surprising at all. Sometimes you're going to score 178 and sometimes you're going to score 168. doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So I, I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but, for, yeah. but I, I think sometimes I need to do a better job um, helping students recognize this volatility because 
I was talking to someone the other day, and I can't remember their exact scores, but they got like a, you know, 162 or something, and then they got a 161, and they emailed me, and they're like, uh, it's very frustrating, my scores are going down, and I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, you can't like, no, it's not. not that precise, you know? It's, no, yeah. uh, it's very possible that your, your innate ability, your understanding of the test has gone up, it's just that the, the swing of the test uh, in this particular instance uh, had you scoring on the lower end of your range. So I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I find myself drawing a bell curve on the whiteboard very frequently and talking to them about how everybody has their own range. And, you know, by prep, you can move your range up, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're, moving the, you're moving the middle of the curve up, and you're probably also moving the top and bottom of the curve up. Yeah, but nonetheless, you still have that that curve and that range of possible outcomes, and you just have to you have to accept that and realize that it doesn't kind of it just doesn't have to mean anything at all. One or two points in any direction don't mean anything. You know, I really like the bell curve idea because it actually illustrates it perfectly. Like, there is also a possibility that you could get a very high score or even a very, very low score. It's just that those probabilities go down dramatically. And so it's like a, it's like a percentage thing. I think people need to start thinking in, about the world in more in terms of probability. <laughs> I totally agree with that, man. That's, that's one thing. I have a good, solid education as far as that's concerned. Uh, you know, I studied managerial economics and... It was a BS and there wasn't, you know, like a lot of math, but I had to take a few stats courses and we ended up talking. Yeah, you you get trained to sort of think about the world probabilistically mm-hmm. and, and just think about ranges of outcomes. And it's a nice way to be because you don't get you don't get so agitated about bad things and you don't get so crazily unreasonably happy about, you know fluke good things mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. you just kind of accept it all as a as part of the, the range of, of possible outcomes yeah like if i go play golf you know i could hit one in the ocean and i'm like well okay that was a that was kind of on the lower end of my range and i can hit one knock one in the hole from 100 yards and i can think like oh well that was kind of the upper end of my range i don't maybe it means i'm boring to be around because i it just makes me kind of like steady, right? I just sort of accept what I accept those different outcomes, and I don't have to attribute meaning to every single data point. Yeah, yeah, and that's the problem, right? Is that like when when something really good happens to you, then now you think you're blessed by God, and that you know this was an ordained moment, and you were wearing your magic underwear at that point, and you know you start. <laughs> I don't know. And, and and then the flip side, you have one bad score and then you're like, oh, well, I have to burn that, that pair of underwear and I have to, you know, I can't eat that what I ate for breakfast today because you start, you start like attributing causation to yeah. every single thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I took the December LSAT and I got a 162. That's nice. Awesome. Yeah. yeah he was averaging 158. And scored at the top of his range. That's awesome. For a lot of people, that would be a good good point to just quit. But he says, since then, I have continued to study, and I am recently averaging more like 160 and have gotten a couple 165s even. Anyway, this is a long way of saying that I think I can do a little better if I retake the test in June. 
I think realistically a 165 or 167 or a 170 maybe. I actually find practicing for the test somewhat enjoyable, so I don't feel like studying is a grind. Um, thoughts about that? I mean, he's talking about June, which is several months away, so I don't think that's unreasonable. I think that, especially since he finds it enjoyable, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him keep studying, keep seeing his score slowly go up. Uh, who knows where I'll end up, but I wouldn't be surprised at all to see it keep climbing. No. Yeah, we're talking about, uh, you know, he had a cold 155, mm-hmm. right? Or that was 20 years ago, but a 152 after restarting cold 152 with no prep. And 152 to 170 is not unreasonable at all. People make mm-hmm. that kind of a leap all the time. He's saying a lot of encouraging things here. You know, he, he, he seems to be on the rise. His average has been going up. His higher scores have been going up. Mm-hmm. And probably most importantly, he finds studying for the test enjoyable. Yeah. If that's the way you feel about it, then I see nothing but good things, you know, coming down the road. Yeah. So that's awesome. It does seem like 170 is a as a possibility for Timmy. Yeah. On the other side of the equation, my undergrad GPA is truly atrocious. Let's just say I'm hoping the LSAC calculation comes out to 2.5-ish. The only thing positive about my undergraduate record is how long ago it was, over 20 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) That's not good, but it is a long time ago. Yeah. It's just that, you know, when they do that index calculation they're not going to look at how many years ago it was. It's not like they're going to bump up your GPA because it was 20 years ago or disregard completely your GPA because it was 20 years ago. Can you do undergrad over again? Uh, I don't know. I, if so, I think people would be doing that. I mean, I haven't ever seen anybody do that. I thought that once you graduated, that's that like freezes your... Because you can't retake classes to try to bump up your GPA. Well, what if you take a and just go to a different school? Just like, yeah, you know, just go get a new bachelor's. Yeah, in something else. That's a great so. question. We should really find that out, listeners. Please email us and tell us so we can report it on the show. Um, what happens if you get a second bachelor's? I would really like to know if LSAC makes any account, accounts for that at all. Although I feel like I would have heard of people doing that if that were a, really a thing you could do. I think I would have heard that by now. Yeah, uh, although it is kind of, it sounds expensive and time-consuming, but since Timmy has a bucket list item of going to law school, why not add a bucket list item of achieving a 3.8 or higher in undergrad? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So here's the question. It says, with these things in mind, uh, and keeping in mind that I am not merely trying to get into law school, but also trying to get as much of a scholarship as possible, do you think it would be worth it to try to get a 165 or a 167? I'm already higher than the 75th percentile LSAT uh, with a 162 and well below their 25th percentile GPA with a 2.5. Would it make any difference in the scholarship offers I might receive? Uh, I think it would because aren't they... Um... They're interested in your LSAT score for their U.S. News and World Report rankings, and I feel like that is determined. The number that's reported there is an average, right? Or I don't know what number is actually yeah, reported. It's the average of the highest 
score for each incoming student. So that's why law schools don't care if you take the LSAT multiple times, because they have to report out the highest number for each individual student. So, so they're not reporting the 25th and the 75th uh, U.S. News & World Report. They're reporting the average LSAT score. It's just one number. You know, actually, maybe I'm not exactly positive about that. So maybe they are reporting the, the range to the LSAC. I, actually, I do not know. So I'm looking, I'm trying to look it up right now, but I wonder if they're reporting an average, then the higher your LSAT score, the more that's going to help them. Yeah. And thus it would matter. Yeah. Well, you know, here's to maybe even not worry about that so much. Law schools do index calculations, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, this is yes, a fact. That's true. Yes, okay. that is a well, fact. When they do the index calculation, they're using your LSAT score. So it's not like, it doesn't matter how your LSAT relates to their 75th percentile. Yeah. It's just they're using your LSAT score. So you're going to, you know, um, Timmy is going to get burned badly on the index calculations because of his shitty undergraduate GPA. Mm -hmm. But he can, you know, combat that with a really high LSAT score. And that'll get his index, you know, formula back up into the scholarship zone, I would think. Yeah. So, yes, I think it absolutely does make a difference. It almost certainly will make a difference at one of the schools you're applying to, mm -hmm. right? You're, he's applying to a range of schools, so he's going to be kind of bubble at one of those schools, or he's going to be bubble for a scholarship at one of those schools. And the difference between 162 and 167 is really, really large. So, yeah, I mean, for if you're hunting for scholarship money, I would absolutely retake it and try to get yourself your 167, especially because you enjoy studying for the test. Yeah. Like you're just take this time, enjoy it and hopefully get money for it. Right. Second question here, even though these scholarships are merit based, do schools take into account how much they perceive that you need a scholarship? I would say no, but I imagine that might affect them a little bit if they felt like you needed it. Otherwise, you wouldn't come to the school. They might be inclined to give it to you. Yeah. You get to negotiate. So, you know, what we can talk about what need means. Um, you could have all the money in the world, but you could tell them, hey, I'm not going to your school unless you give me a scholarship. And at that point, they might consider you as someone who needs that scholarship, right? <laughs> it's like, well, they, we need to give it to them. Because he's, you know, if we believe him that he's not coming to our school, if we don't give him the scholarship, then I guess he needs it. Yeah. But it's not need in terms of financial need. It's not the kind of grants and stuff that you're used to getting as an undergrad. This is really just, uh, the, this, these scholarships really are just merit-based. Um, and merit is almost, you know, merit, the way they figure out merit is your LSAT and your GPA. Yeah. Last little bit here from Timmy, and then we'll move on. I'm not sure there is a way around it, but usually once people find out my occupation, there is an immediate presumption that I have lots of money to burn. Even though I fortunately do make more than a lot of people, that does not mean that I don't do a little cost-benefit analysis before spending my money. In the case of law school, I am willing to attribute a little bit of benefit to crossing something off my bucket list, but truly the cost does need to be pretty low for me to consider doing this. Uh, anyway, I really enjoy the show. Take care, Timmy. My only question is, Timmy, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, he, he left out his uh, occupation. I'm trying to think, what what would be an occupation where you would think people make a lot of money? Doctor? <sighs> maybe doctor. I mean, surgeon? You'd have yeah. to say that. Or maybe, uh, 
Although with a low GPA, he's not a surgeon. Mm, good point. Sorry, Timmy. Wall Street. Wall Street. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Finance, fi- financial, fi- hedge fund manager, something like that. Huh. So he does make a lot of money, but he's smart enough, savvy enough to not want to burn all that money on, <laughs> on a JD that he's only doing for fun. Yeah. So that's good. You know, one thing I, and it's, of course, it's self-serving for us to say that, but if you want to talk about cost benefit analysis, mm-hmm. um, he, if he spent a thousand dollars and signed up for your online class yeah. or my online class, yeah, it's certainly not guaranteed, but if that thousand dollars turns into three more LSAT points, which it's almost certain to do, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, three more LSAT points is not hard to find. So if he did spend some money on his LSAT prep, then he might end up getting $100,000 more in scholarship money. So that's the, that's the cost-benefit analysis that I would encourage people to do. Yeah. And yes, it is self-serving of me to say that, but uh, that does not mean that I'm wrong. That's right. All right. Anything else for Timmy? No. Yeah. Thanks, dude. Sorry for busting your balls about why law school is on your bucket list. Um, it's your <laughs> life and you obviously can spend it however you want. Uh, I wish I had those three years back. I'll tell you what, I'll trade you my JD for three more <laughs> years. Next letter? Yeah. Okay. Please just use my first name, Brian. I'm about to turn 30. I was a late starter to college, graduated in 2014. I took some time to really evaluate what I wanted to do in my life career-wise. Good. Good. More people should do that. Ever since I was 16, I worked at my family's law firm. Law has always been a major part of my life. I guess the reason I put it off for so long is having the, quote, second generation syndrome, which uh, Brian defines as when you have little to no interest in pursuing the family business because you have been around it so long. Hmm. I guess that's natural. People kind of want to leave the nest and go do other stuff, right? Sure. Well, it's kind of strange to actually presume that anyone would like necessarily what their family does. I mean, there's so many random things that people can do in this life, and there's so many random things that people like doing, you know? It's pretty confining, I think, to just say, oh, well, my dad and mom were a lawyer, so therefore, you know, I'll like doing that too, not necessarily. Well, particularly if they, like, are just grooming you for it your whole life and just assuming that you're going to take it over and then you get to high school or college or whatever and you start to break away a little bit and now all of a sudden you're questioning everything Mm -hmm. you know including the plan the life plan that they have set up for you to take over the practice yeah anyway now that he is um about to turn 30 I have finally come to the realization that it is a win-win situation for me to inherit the practice. When I graduate law school, day one, I will have an established law practice to call my own, something that a lot of brand new attorneys would aspire to have. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Although, I guess my concern would be even if that's like, even if something is such as this were given to you. There are a lot of careers that even if they were given to me, I wouldn't want to take them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like the president? (laughs) 
Yeah, president or just, I, I, I don't know, but there's a whole lot of things where I'm, I'm talking to people, I don't know, at some sort of school function or something, and they're telling me what they do, and I'm sort of thinking, wow, I'm sure glad I don't do that, you know? Right, I mean, he's calling this a win-win. I guess what he means is it's good for his family, and then it's good financially for him, because he's going to just, you know, kind of hit the ground running with an established law practice. Yeah. I do see that this could be a financial win-win, but if you don't enjoy the work, if you don't want to spend your days practicing law, then it's not a win in that way at all. Oh my gosh, I just shuddered actually. I imagine <laughs> going into a small law office and being like, oh, what's the next case? Oh, let's start researching this. Uh, what's the law on you know appropriation or whatever? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, all you listeners out there. I mean, seriously, we're gonna knock down our listeners' numbers by like fifty percent. But it's like, you guys gotta go get some legal experience. You know, go go find out what it's actually like to to do this kind of work because it is not the glamorous thing you might think it is, and it's a it is pretty dry. It's pretty grindy. Did I ever tell you about my experience at the DOJ? <laughs> I'm still laughing that you shuddered. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I started imagining walking into a small, like, you know, law office, and you have a couple other people, and it's like, oh, oh I can't. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, let's hear about the DOJ. Did I tell you about it? I don't want to, like, bore anyone. If No, I well, I forgot, so let's hear it again. Oh, sure. So, anyways, uh, my second summer in law school, I, I – uh, did a clerkship at the uh, the Department of Justice, and I was in Maine Justice because uh, the Department of Justice has a lot of satellite offices. And Maine Justice is the um, I, I guess it's the original building, and it's huge, ginormous doors and everything. But I went into uh, I was in the Civil Rights Division, and I was just working there that summer, and I guess the immigration division or, or ICE. I don't know what it was called at the time, and I'm not exactly sure if that's right, but they had an overload of asylum cases. And so they sent them to the different divisions and the attorneys in those divisions basically assigned them to the people who, like me who were just interning or clerking there. They're like, hey, you're here. Can you, can you take this case? And what that meant was writing a brief at least in my case, it was writing a brief to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, basically arguing against an appeal that someone someone was seeking asylum, and our job, at least from the government's position, was to deny them asylum. So you yep. know, it's a very motivating and uplifting uh, sort yeah. of <laughs> position to take. This person is claiming uh, political retribution or. I, you know, I can't remember actually for this particular case, but, and, and we're supposed to poke holes in all of their claims and try to point out how they're probably not true. Yep. Anyways, I wrote this brief and that's what I did for most of the first part of my summer and submitted it to the third circuit. And apparently we, we won. So yeah, there we go. I just I Good know, job, ben. D- denied yeah. someone asylum who I have I no thought. idea who they are. Yeah. I was just given the facts and the the law, yeah. but then the attorney came back who took it to the to the court and said, "Oh, the judge said that they 
they liked your your brief and i remember thinking oh okay great and then a little bit after that they said hey do you want to come back and work here after you graduate and i remember saying oh yeah i'll let you know and it was just like it was it was that it was that experience that basically solidified in my mind that i didn't want to practice law and I remember talking to people about it, and they're like, oh, you got to write a brief, and it was for an appellate court, the Third Circuit, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, they're like, that's what everyone wants to do is they want to they wanna do appellate law. You know, they want to do litigation, and I was just like, no. That's just – if that's if that's the end of the rainbow, then it's basically uh, coal for me. So <laughs> see you later. Yeah. Life's like that, you know, you, you go after these things because you think that they're going to be the thing for you. And then once you have it, then it turns out, you know, to not really be everything you thought it was going to be. Yeah. That makes me think of, I had a, for a while when I was living in Boston, I had a, I was a reporter for a while or trying to be a reporter for a while. I was in journalism school and I I had a press pass uh, to Fenway Park to go, um, you know, on the field before Red Sox games and rub shoulders with players and managers and all everything. And it was like, you know, if you would have told 10 year old Nathan, I would have been like ecstatic, just couldn't, couldn't believe how great this was. And oh my God, my, my life is made going to the ballpark every day, standing on the field. Are you kidding me? And, um, it was pretty miserable. Uh, you know, the reality of it was pretty miserable. It was a grind. It was packed. The press box was packed. You're constantly on a deadline to try to write something. It was miserable trying to go up to people and talk to them, you know, because I didn't really want. I did just. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's a wonderful job for people who who have that in them. But I don't have. I'm not a reporter. I'm not yeah. meant to be a reporter. Also. I thought baseball would be fascinating, except for when you're doing it every single day, then you realize it's super, super slow and boring. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, you know, that I would just encourage folks. um, I was going to say I would encourage young people, but I would encourage everyone to just go after whatever thing you think it is today that is going to make you happy and go try it. But just be be willing to to quit quickly, you know, to be willing to get out of there as soon as you realize that it's not working yeah you could have been spent like your whole life just doing that right because you could have said well i've come this far yeah i've spent this money i've spent the time yeah everybody it's so prestigious you know this opportunity how could i turn this how could i turn this opportunity down when so many people would kill to have this opportunity yeah but you were like well i'm gonna kill myself if i do this so i'm out yeah, it's sort of strange. I'm, I'm a little lucky because I don't know that I thought through it too well. Yeah, I just sort of said, "Yeah, let me think about it." I didn't say no, obviously, right away. Um, I just told them I'd get back to them, and then I, I kind of never did, unfortunately. But I mean, I probably should have told them that I, I wasn't interested outright. Like, if I had thought about it, if I'd been a little more like rational, I probably would have been like, "Oh, I need." need to have a salary as soon as I'm done here. I need, this is what I need to, and this is the DOJ. I mean, hey, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I just did something else. Yeah. Well, it worked out well for you because you quit. That's I, same with me. I mean, I never really had much of a plan. I just kind of tried a million things and quit a million things and then eventually ended up with the luckiest, greatest job in the world. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know really anybody who's happier with their, 
career situation than I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really just came from, I don't know, having high standards and being being willing to walk away from less than perfect situations. There, I've been through a lot of them, you know, 10 different jobs. Yeah. Here's to the quitters. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> don't persist. Do not persist. I mean, if... You know, if you genuinely believe that law is the thing for you, then you might have to, you're going to have to persist, right? You're going to have to overcome quite a few hurdles in order to create a successful legal practice for yourself. Yeah. So I'm not saying don't try hard, but I am saying as soon as it starts to just really suck and if 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 you start to have second thoughts like, hey, is this the right thing for me? There are a million other things that you could try. Mm -hmm. I am a pretty big advocate of uh, quitting. Yeah. All right. So I guess, you know, the advice then for Brian is figure out whether this life as a lawyer really is a win-win for you. Because if not, I don't care how much your family wants you to do it. And I don't care how successful you will be. And, you know, it's true. Yeah, of course, you would have this advantage that a million other people would love to have that advantage of having having your own practice right away from day one. That's great, but if it's not great for you, then it doesn't it doesn't matter how good it is for anybody else. Yeah. I'm currently studying for the LSAT. I plan on taking it in February 2017. I just started studying in December. That's a quick turnaround. Um, yeah. Not you know most people might need a little longer than that. My scores are slowly increasing, but my main motivation is to get in and get out, pass the bar, so that I can hit the ground running. I would like scholarships to help pay tuition, but to me, it's getting started in law school, which is more important. Okay, so he's trying to go fast because I guess it doesn't matter where he goes, and in some ways it doesn't matter how much scholarship he gets because he's got a job waiting for him when he gets done. That's what he's thinking. Yeah, yeah. You don't sound thrilled. No, I'm just trying to understand the the motivation. I mean... I guess if he knows that this is what he wants to do, I'm not entirely opposed to that, although he could... Hey, here's a couple thoughts. One, uh, if he takes it in June, which I know would put him back a year for most schools, gets a better score, if that's in the cards, then he can go to a better school or at least get a better, better scholarship, which is still, hey, you're going to school for one year longer than you were hoping, but... Now you have less debt. And if you end up going to a better school, if the whole family law practice thing is not something you want to end up doing three years from now, because your feelings about that plan might change, if you go to a better school, you might have better opportunities than if you just try to get the degree and be done. I don't know. Yeah. How certain is this that you're going to successfully take over the family law firm? I mean, is it 100% guaranteed? It might be. Yeah. But it also could be any number less than that. And, you know, you could have a falling out with your mom and dad. They could have a falling out with each other. There could be some partner, other partner in the firm that you have, you know, butt heads with when you try to take over the firm. On and on of ways that the family law firm plan might not be a guaranteed goldmine. Yeah. I mean, maybe it is, but maybe it's not. It certainly wouldn't hurt you to, you know, because frankly, this sounds a little lazy to me. 
I, I, I don't, I'm not sorry, Brian. I'm not really trying to call you lazy, but one might look at this and assume that, hey, you're trying to prep for the LSAT on a really short time frame, and you, you know, your main motivation is just get in and get out. He, he sort of like tosses off this, my main motivation is to get in, get out, pass the bar, hit the ground running. It's like, well, okay, there's three years of law school that you have to grind your way through. Mm-hmm. And the bar, depending on what state you're in, is not easy. Yeah. So that, people just sort of assume, like, oh, if I get into law school, then the bar is no problem. But it's a huge problem. With uh, We talked about a few episodes ago, you know, 50% bar passage rate at UC Hastings. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh. So, Such mean, wasted money. Yeah. And wasted money, time, energy, everything. I mean, you can't take over the family firm if you don't pass the bar. And and the LSAT is a, a pretty good protector, I think. It, it keeps people from potentially failing the bar three years from now. Yeah. Because it keeps you out of law school to begin with. So we don't know what his scores are, but if his scores were, you know, 140 and he's like, well, I just want to, you know, get a 145 so that I can get into this law, crappy law school so that I can take over the family firm, it's like, well, dude, you need to consider the very real possibility that you're going to get a 145, pay for law school, and then not pass the bar. Yeah. Which is tough. So let's see. Um, I'm only applying to two schools in my area because they are near me. One is fairly competitive, while the other is quite lenient with respect to LSAT scores. My question is, have you ever had a student in a similar situation where they needed to become an attorney sooner rather than worrying about where they went. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I mean, that's kind of what we were just talking about, I think, right? It, this is sort of like what everybody thinks they are in. They think Everyone thinks they're in this situation. Everyone thinks, you know, I need to go to law school right now. I got to be an attorney right now. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm not going to go to the greatest school. Not going to get the greatest deal, but... I'm already 26 years old. Exactly. Yeah. Right. No, Brian's, Hey man, clock's ticking. He's about to turn 30. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, um, I think that really is a, it's very common, but I think it's pretty bad analysis. You should try to not have that be part of your thinking at all. So I, yes, I have had a million students think that they're in this situation and I almost always try to tell them that they're not. Seems to me people worry more about prestige so that when they get a job, they are more attractive. But for me, I just need the license and a good education to get the ball rolling. I would like to know if I am approaching this with the right attitude. I mean, again, this is just what we were saying. I, I would be cautious. I, I would I would take a little longer, do the best you can on your LSAT so you have more options for school. And then as you're applying to school... Uh, make decisions about where you want to go as you're as you're seeing the options come in. I mean, I I guess basically I would take this one step at a time. Um, it's great that you have sort of an end goal in mind. I think that can provide motivation. But I would I would just also not sell yourself short for just I don't know for a year of school basically a year yeah. of time. Yeah, agree. I mean. He's making it sound like his family is is telling him, like, hey, the clock is ticking on this and you have to do it right now if you're going to take over the practice, which I suppose is a possibility. But he didn't actually say that. 
Well, what's the difference between three years and four years? Like someone's going to can't. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, his folks are 65 and, you know, in ill health or are they, they're ready to go travel and they just don't want to be doing it anymore. Yeah. Something like that, maybe. You, I, you almost have to wonder about the condition of the firm as well in that case. I don't know. Like how, how much do you, how much is this practice really worth? Is a, is a reasonable question to be asking. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you can ask your mom and dad that, but it's like if they're pushing you to take over the firm, then is that for your benefit or is it for their benefit? I, I would doubt they would be pushing them if they felt like it was going downhill. Is that what you're saying? I have, I, I have this idea that law firms are pretty poorly run. A lot of law firms are pretty poorly run. And that you can have a successful practice, but the practice would actually not be worth anything without the principles Mm. because as a business, it doesn't run very well Mm -hmm. and that it really is just like the principles that are the, that are kind of propping the whole thing up and doing all the work. Yeah. And so I, I just wonder, you know, if they're saying you have to take it over now or what, or they're going to shut it down or they're going to sell it to someone else or What's going to happen if you don't take it over now? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like Ben says a million times, well, one more year. So what? what? What What difference is one more year? Yeah, I don't know. Sit down and talk to the folks about that, huh? And see see what they think. Hey, last thing. I noticed that you've, you uh, fixed Brian's word feedback. Um, I fix typos. I cannot not fix typos. <laughs> So normally I wouldn't say, well, actually, normally I did say things about this before, but I've been trying not to. But Brian, I do have a funny story about this uh, particular mistake. So I don't know if you just typed it and didn't notice it, but feedback is one word. Maybe you know that instead of two. But I have this situation where once I was writing an email to a client and I copied uh, a partner on the email. And at the end of the email, I wrote, in the meantime, and I had it as uh, two words, mean and time, and then, you know, something. I can't remember what I said. I don't even remember what the email was about. But I sent the email, and the <laughs> the reply I got from the partner was, meantime is one word, period. And I was just like, eek. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I don't remember. Uh, you know, that itself is not that bad of an email. But given the fact that this partner tend to use much more, um, you know, inviting language like, hi, so-and-so, thank you for your help, blah, blah, blah. This reply was like kind of like a dagger, you know, I was like, oh, shoot, I just can't believe I did that and sent it to a client. So anyways. um, That's that's the the type of shit that lawyers notice, man. (laughs) I mean, lawyers are are gladiators who do battle with the English language as Mm -hmm. their weapons. And they notice if you put an extra space somewhere, they notice that shit, you know, they notice any punctuation errors, any grammar errors, any spelling errors, any word choice errors. They catch all that shit. I'm amazed at how bad the emails are that we receive. You know, it's, I'm not picking on um, any of our correspondents today, particularly, but that type of shit, you're going to want to clean that up as part of your training yourself to be a lawyer. <laughs> yep. You're, you're going to want to start rereading the shit you write and uh, making sure it's clean because people will subtly judge you for things like that. Yeah.
subtly and sometimes not so subtly judge you for things like that. So, by the way, here is a here's a random grammar tip that a lot of people mess up, and I I wonder if Brian did too because he put the period outside the quotes, but uh, periods always always go inside the quotes. And so do commas. And I think the confusion arises from the fact that in the UK, they do it the opposite. So sometimes people see it the other way, and they think that's how it should be done. But that's standard practice in America. So oh, yeah. I missed that one. Let me fix it. <laughs> no, I did that. I like how you're, you're fixing this email, and then you're going to delete it. <laughs> yeah. Also, one space in between sentences these days, folks. Yeah. Just oh, the space. double space is just like... It's like a big yawn between those sentences. Well, I mean, you used to, that's how I learned how to type. Was sure. Spaces, yeah, I remember. Right? And in college, I would have professors who would like mark Require me down for doing spaces. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, dude, have you ever looked at a book lately? I would, I would take issue with them sometimes because I'm like, you're, <laughs> you're, you're giving me points off for something that's anachronistic and outdated. So knock it off. <laughs> should we do uh, a logical reasoning question? Yeah, we should. Sorry for the digression okay. there. No, perfect. Thanks again to Timmy and to Brian for your questions. Um, listeners, you can always email us help at thinkinglsat.com. That email goes to both me and Ben. And uh, if your question is a useful one, which they almost always are, We'll throw it on the agenda for discussion on a future show. Yeah. The June 2007 LSAT. We are on section three. Yep. And question 15. Okay. And if you're just joining us, you can just Google June 2007 LSAT, and it's the first thing that will pop up. It's a PDF. You can download it and follow along. So we are in section three, number 15. And I guess I'll go ahead and read this. We've been doing this since episode one of the podcast, by the way. Um, Or not maybe episode one, but for sure we've been doing it since the beginning. Wait, actually, now that I say that, maybe that's not 100% true. Sorry, I'm lying. We have been doing it for over 40 episodes at least. We've been going through these questions and we're slowly making our way through. We've got 10 10 or 11 more now and we'll be done with these uh, free June 2007 logical reasoning questions. Yeah. Uh, So, Nathan, I don't think you've... um learn the latest lesson in uh, lying. You just oh. never admit that you lied. That's, oh. that's the new norm now, right? <laughs> yeah, I no. I mean, I think I'm pretty bad at lying. I, I, don't, I don't do it, or I try not to do it. I don't know. I just, I feel like I'd rather just get it out there in the open that I, that I said something that was not true so we can uh. move on. Yeah, I know that that builds trust and um, you know all that sort of thing. I don't know; it's just not where we're going these days. But anyway, <laughs> got it. Uh, Fifteen says a consumer magazine surveyed people who had sought a psychologist's help with a personal problem. Okay, notice they are surveying people who specifically sought out the psychologist's help. So this isn't totally a random sample of people. This is people who decided to go get help from a psychologist anyway of those responding okay so of the ones who responded maybe some didn't who had received treatment for six months or less oh man 
That's a grammar mistake. I'm sorry, but it's supposed to be fewer because mm. months is a countable thing. But anyways, of those respo- <laughs> responding who had received treatment for six months or less, 20% claimed that treatment made things a lot better. Okay. Of those responding who had received longer treatment, 36% claimed that the treatment made things a lot better. Ooh, so more people said the same thing. Or a higher percentage, sorry, higher percentage. Therefore, psychological treatment lasting more than six months is more effective than short-term, shorter-term treatment. No. Nope. Why not? Uh, Selection bias. Potential selection bias. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you mean by that, selection bias? Well, these two treatment groups, the six months or less group and the six months or more group, or the more than six six months group, they were not randomly selected or we don't know that they were randomly selected. Yeah. So the people who did it six months or less, you know, maybe they, they didn't think it was working. That's why they quit. Yeah. The people who kept at it for a year, they maybe, maybe they thought it was working and that's why they kept doing it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So there's bias then in that sample. So I, I would call it selection bias because we don't know how the groups were selected and the groups could have, they very well could have self-selected based on their perception of how, whether or not the treatment was working. Yeah. This is like going into an ice cream store and asking everyone what they think of the store and and a greater percentage of people there saying it's awesome than just random people on the street. It's like, yeah, these people chose to be there. These people chose to receive the treatment longer. And like you said, they didn't give up or quit or something. So they're more likely, I think, to like it. Yeah, totally. I was going to use CrossFit <laughs> as an example. <laughs> Do you have CrossFit near your near your office at all? Wait, have have I talked about CrossFit at all? No, I don't think so. I am like, I am like the, I don't know. I can't think of a good analogy right now. But everyone in my life, everyone in my life does CrossFit. CrossFit, which is actually even more exciting, but CrossFit, uh, except me. So it's the it's a situation where the I don't even know what they're like. They're like coaches or something. The coaches at the local CrossFit gyms know who I am and want to know when I'm coming in. What? <laughs> because your students and things like work, no, do- no, my wife does it. Her friends do it. Uh, the people I hang out with. So they're all, you know, they go and they see each other there. It's like everyone's there except me. I see. Dude, I'll 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 take you guys anytime. You want to do push-ups? How many can you do? <laughs> I've said that to them. They're like, yeah, whatever. They're like, our warm-up is better than your workout, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's little things. So Yeah, so if you ask people inside the CrossFit what they think of CrossFit, you know, you're going to have a lot of people saying that it's the best thing ever. Yeah. And if you ask people outside the CrossFit what they think of the CrossFit, you're going to get a, a sample that doesn't think it's nearly as cool, right? Yeah. So that could be exactly what's going on here. We don't know that for sure, but it's a potential problem with this, uh, the conclusion that they're trying to reach here based on this uh, survey. Yeah, and this is actually true for both groups because even the first group that said 20% um, made things a lot better. That could be higher than people who don't seek the treatment at all, right? So, 
Yeah, yeah. These are people who sought out a psychologist's help. Yeah, so people who had never done psychology, you know, might think, 0% of them might think that it's going to make things a lot better. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. All right, so it says, um, which one following, if true, most seriously weakens the argument. This is not surprising. Uh, this is a problematic argument, so I'm not surprised to see it be a weakened question. It could be a strengthened question or an assumption question of some sort or whatever, but yeah. So we're looking for something that says, no, it, treatment lasting more than six months is not necessarily more effective than shorter-term treatment. Answer choice A. Of the respondents who had received treatment for longer than six months, 10% said they, they, that the treatment made things worse. Okay. What do you think? I just don't see how that matters at all. I don't think it matters at all because we don't say anything about what percentage of people who had treatment for less than 10 months said. How many of them said that it made things worse? Yeah. Um, and anyway, some people thinking it makes things worse is really not relevant to how many people think it is better. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I just think it's, it's words that don't really attach themselves to the argument all that much. You know, They just don't really change my assessment. My objection is still the same. My objection is, hey, how were these two groups selected? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be the answer. Yeah, answer choice B. Patients who had received treatment for longer than six months were more likely to respond to the survey than those who had received treatment for a shorter time. So this is interesting because it does make a distinction between the right. two groups, but it still doesn't really matter. How come? Well, it doesn't change the fact that 36% of the people who responded in the group that took longer treatment, 36% of them say it made things a lot better. Yeah. So the, the total number of people who responded to the survey from each of these two groups is not actually relevant when the data that we were presented is about percentage of the respondents who thought they liked it. You know, this, it, because you, when it says you're more likely to respond, we don't know if that's because you liked it or if it's because you didn't like it. Yeah, it could cut either way. So Right, right. So in that case, I guess you could read B as a strengthener or you could read it as a weakener, in which case it's probably not going to be the answer. That's right. It's like answer choice B is not giving us a clue as to whether there was selection bias or what kind of selection bias there was. It's just saying that there might have been might because we we don't know how many people ended up persisting for longer but there might have been more people who responded but again since we are told percentages we don't care about the total quantity yeah all right answer choice c patients who feel they are doing well in treatment tend to remain in treatment oh so if you like it you're gonna stay while those who are doing poorly tend to quit which we like we love quitters uh, and they tend to quit earlier. Yeah, that's exactly what we were saying. Yeah, it's exactly what we predicted. And it's not just because we've seen this question before. It's because we've seen this same pattern of reasoning a million times on the LSAT. Yeah. I mean, this you have to ask, oh, okay, was this an actual you know study here? Did you randomly select these groups? Or did the groups select themselves? 
if the group selected themselves, then you're just not going to be able to reach this conclusion that says that, oh, the psychological treatment longer than six months is more effective. You don't, you just don't know that if the groups were self-selecting. Yeah. C points it out exactly. If C, we don't know that C is true, but if it is true, then it's going to totally undermine their whole line of reasoning here. Yeah. Answer choice D, just to check and make sure we're not missing anything. Patients who were dissatisfied with their treatment were more likely to feel the need to express their feelings about it and thus return the survey. Uh, Okay, that would suggest that the numbers are actually low for the percentage of people who claim that the treatment made things a lot better. But it affects both groups, right? Right. And yeah, nonetheless, the group that did the treatment for longer than six months is still more satisfied than the group that did the treatment for less than six months. Mm -hmm. So even if these numbers are lower than they would be without this um, dissatisfaction bias, I don't feel like that changes the analysis at all. No, we need something that would say something like those who are dissatisfied we're more likely to express their feelings and do it within the first six months or something yeah. like that. And yeah. like make that distinction between the two groups somehow. Right. Yep. Okay. E many psychologists encourage their patients to receive treatment for longer than six months. I mean, that's the worst answer. If anything, it's probably a strengthener. Because the conclusion was psychological treatment lasting more than six months is more effective. Sure. So if many psychologists who we could presume to be experts are encouraging their patients to receive treatment for longer than six months, that could be a strengthener. Sure. It could be because it's good for them. It could be good because they could be doing that because they're going to make more money. Who knows? But yeah, if anything, it might be strengthening. The other thing about this answer, I mean, it's just, it's wrong for the content reasons. And that is, that is absolutely what you should focus on. But just to pile on here, when it says many, I'm going to translate that as some, some, which is just at least one, which is kind of extreme, but that's all we're really technically forced to believe here is that at least one or two psychologists have done this. And I'm like, I don't care about one or two people and what they think. Yeah, I just don't, it doesn't really have very much bearing. You know, weaken questions, like strengthen questions, we're being asked to change the argument, right? We want to move the argument in some way. Mm -hmm. And many is an inherently weak, wishy-washy thing to start with. Because, yeah, many means some, and some only means one or more. And so answer choice E is like, well, this guy over here, he says that you should do treatment for more than six months. (laughs) And that just isn't going to change my analysis. It it just Mm -hmm. does. Yeah. Like you said, the opinion of one or two dudes just is not going to make any difference here. Yeah. So the answer is C for number 15. So 16 is by a philosopher who says... Nations are not literally persons, okay? They have no thoughts or feelings, and literally speaking, they perform no actions. All right, I'm 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 actually okay with this so far. I kind of agree. Nations are just like an idea. Are you cool with that? Yeah, I'm cool with that. I mean, of course, uh, this is going to be using the um, old-fashioned 
first definition of the term literally, not the newfangled secondary definition of the term literally. What is the second newfangled? The second definition of yeah. the term literally that is now in some dictionaries? Yeah. Figuratively. Oh. Yeah. Because... I always took it literally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Because, um, yeah, dictionaries are descriptive, not prescriptive. Sure. And they are supposed to be chronicling the way language actually is used. Okay. Literally is, you know, the traditional definition is actually, like in real life. Yep. For reals. And nowadays, because so many people use literally incorrectly, Mm-hmm. They use it as just like this amplifier, all-purpose amplifier. Yeah. They they mean it to mean like more or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they mean it to mean listen to me because I'm telling you a really good story right now. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it now has a secondary definition in the dictionary of figuratively, which is the exact opposite of what the old definition of literally was, hmm. which is frustrating. So Merriam-Webster says virtually, and then it has this note. It says, should literally be used for emphasis in this sense, in this second definition. And it says it's common and not all that new, but it has been frequently criticized as an illogical misuse. It is pure hyperbole intended to gain emphasis, but it often appears in contexts where no additional emphasis is necessary. Yeah, well, it's an L-Y adverb. Right, which yeah. is the worst kind of word. I mean, ly adverbs just suck. Mm-hmm. So you can go ahead and just not say literally. Almost every time you you are about to say literally, you could just not say it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I say it, but I mean, when I say literally, I mean because I'm saying something kind of extreme, and I actually mean it, and I want you to believe me. That's when I say literally. Yeah. You know. <laughs> What, you're telling a story about what someone did, and you just you think the person's going to say, "Nah, he didn't do that," you know. And then I yeah. say, "Oh no, no, he literally did do this." Yeah, it yeah. is in fact true. In fact, yes. Cool. So wait, where were we? <laughs> well, this is obviously using the traditional definition here, mm-hmm. because a nation is not literally a person. Yeah, we get it. It's not actually a person. And yep. If we are speaking literally, nations themselves do not perform any actions. The United States does not act. It's just uh, an idea or concept. This is what I'm thinking to myself as I read it, at least. It's an idea or a concept in our minds, but the things that are actually performing actions are us or machines that we have created or whatever. Yeah. It then says, thus, they have no moral rights or responsibilities. Whoa. Okay, stop right there. I don't yeah. necessarily disagree, but you just made a logical conclusion, which means, or I shouldn't say logical. You just made a conclusion. Whenever someone makes a conclusion on the LSAT, they're saying that this must be true given what they just said. And I don't see any discussion of moral rights or responsibilities. So how the heck can you say that this idea has to be true given what you just said? Yeah, I mean, there's an assumption there, which is if you have no thoughts or feelings uh, and or if you perform no actions and or if you are not literally a person, 
then you have no moral rights or responsibilities. Yeah. That's what they're assuming, but they just didn't state that. They could have put that into their brief in between the first and second sentence there, and then we would have believed them. Yes. Instead, we're just pointing out, hey, where did moral rights and responsibilities come from? What are you talking about? Yeah. And it doesn't seem like that unreasonable of an assumption, but it still is an assumption, right? And so right. I want to be aware of that. Yes. Okay. But no nation can survive unless many of its citizens attribute such rights and responsibilities to it. Okay. For nothing else could prompt people to make the sacrifices national citizenship demands. You know what? I actually have to agree with this argument. I mean, I, we're supposed to take issue with these things and so forth, but boy, from a just a sitting back on the sidelines perspective, I have to agree with this. It doesn't seem like a nation can survive unless many of its citizens have some sort of mythical belief in it and attribute rights and responsibilities to it. Otherwise, why the heck do people make sacrifices like join the army? I mean, this is my quick thoughts as I'm reading it, but I kind of am sympathetic sure. to it. Yeah, why would we pay our taxes? Why wouldn't we litter? Why would we support the idea of you know doing foreign aid to some other? Why, why would we do disaster relief? in Haiti as a, as a nation, mm -hmm. why would we do that if we don't attribute moral rights and responsibilities to our, to our country? Our, ourselves collectively as a country, uh, yeah. Right, right. Now, it is a little strong because it says no nation can survive, and I can imagine nations like North Korea surviving without <laughs> <laughs> attributing such rights and responsibilities to it. But anyways, the next sentence says, obviously then a nation blank line and because this is a blank line we absolutely have to stop and write it out ourselves not literally write it right. but in our heads you have to finish this sentence before you go any further you don't even need to read the question it's obvious what the question is going to be yeah but we should talk about this specific question type too i mean yeah we sure. are going to predict the answer here when they're having us fill in the blank we're, we're going to try to predict the answer but I see people miss a, type, a question like this all the time because they don't really quite understand what they're being asked. Mm. I'm a big proponent of just treating this question as if it's a must be true. Yeah, sure. It's a, it's a, I don't know if we've talked about the numbers on this before, but 95% of the time it's a must be true question. 5% of the time, uh, roughly, obviously that's a rough estimate, but 5% of the time, because I did look through these once, um, it's a strengthening question. Because what they're asking you for is to fill in a premise, but right. So, um, but the question stem in that case would sound different, right? Here it says which one of the following most logically completes the argument. Yep. And they do not mean go the next step, think about what they're going to say next. You know, go go further than they they are they do not want you here speculating at all. No. They basically want you to restate what the philosopher already said. Yeah, and I think if you understand what we were talking about earlier in terms of conclusions, a good conclusion, a proper conclusion is something that is 100% proven by what was said. And so if you're going to fill in a blank that finishes a conclusion and that conclusion has to be the most logical completion of the argument, then it's going to not introduce anything new. It's just going to be something that obviously must be true given what was said. Yeah. Yep. I think we're looking for the boring, obvious, conservative answer here. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, not it's not about where they're gonna go. It's about where they already went. Yeah. And we're just we can't introduce anything new here. We have to just be safe and boring and obvious and conservative. Yeah. Do you want to make a prediction before we sure. look at the answer choices? Yeah. So at uh, the beginning of this argument talked about how nations are not literally people. They don't have feelings or thoughts or whatever. And thus they have no moral rights, blah, blah, blah. But then it's like, hey, a nation can't survive unless it many of its citizens attribute these rights and responsibilities to it, which aren't literally there, apparently. Right. So... If, if a nation can't survive unless its citizens do this, and we know that these things are not literally true, then I would say something like, obviously then a nation... Uh, requires for its survival... People to attribute things that are not literally true. <laughs> Yeah, people, a nation needs its citizens, some of its citizens, to have false beliefs about the nation Mm -hmm. or else it can't survive. Yeah. And that's, it sounds like we're just restating the argument. Yeah. That's because we are just restating the argument. That's all we're doing. We're kind of, we're kind of putting the pieces, wrapping it up for them together, but we're saying things that they already have said and, and necessarily implied. Yeah. Right. We're trying to predict something that, has to be true. Yeah. According to these give according to these facts. Yeah. I hate this type of question because so many people read it wrong. So many people read this question and they just think, oh well, yeah, we're supposed to go the next the next step in the journey here. And I, it's like, no, you're not. Yeah. It's not it's not it's not about that. So and I'm sure some of these answers are going to be traps like that too. Yeah. All right. Um so which one following most logically completes the argument? Answer choice A. Obviously, then, a nation cannot continue to exist unless something other than the false belief that the nation has more rights motivates its citizens to make sacrifices. Something other than the false belief? Yeah, that, that to me really feels like a trap. Yeah. That's, that's you being smarter than your, you know, too smart for your own good there. Like, yeah. oh, well, this must be what you're saying. You must be saying that we have to have some, there has to be some, something else going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to make us to make sacrifices. That is not at all what the philosopher is talking about. Yeah. You, that, you know, A is very speculative. It's just completely putting words into the philosopher's mouth. Yeah. It'd be a lot better if it just said cannot continue to exist unless the false belief that the nation has moral rights motivates its citizens to make sacrifices. Yeah, that's probably the answer. I mean, that then it's the answer. Yeah. But this concept of some other thing, some other motivation, where did that come from? Yeah. What? I mean, that's only in the answer choice, and that is not going to be the answer, and it must be true. Yep. Okay. B. Obviously, then, a nation cannot survive unless many of its citizens have some beliefs that are literally false. They use that word literally. Again, yeah, third time. Yeah, and that sounds like what we predicted, basically. I mean, it's even better because it's quoting, it's using the exact phrasing from each of those sentences. 
Yeah, which we certainly don't dislike. I don't want. I just don't want people to think that we're picking B because it says the word literally, and they said literally twice <laughs> up above. You know? Isn't that how you take this test? I thought absolutely not. That is yeah. how many people falsely try to take the test, where they're just matching up language or something. Yeah. But we're not going to latch on to one word and say, therefore, that's the answer. B is a good match for what we predicted. We said a nation can't survive unless you know its citizens believe false things. Mm-hmm. And that's very close to what B says. I feel like B has to be true based on the given facts. So mm-hmm. I'm feeling very comfortable with B. Yeah. All right. C. Obviously, then a nation can never be a target of moral praise or blame. <sighs> I mean, well, hey, a nation, you know, the case people would make the case for C. They would say, yeah. hey, it's a premise that the nation has no moral rights or responsibilities. Yeah, so it can't be blamed or praised for but anything. Since when? There's a leap. There's a that's a leap there. Yep. You know, just because you don't have any moral rights or responsibilities, I could still praise you, or I could still blame you, as people do of this yeah. country all the time. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. So C is speculative. That's out. D. Obviously, then a nation is not worth the sacrifices that its citizens make on its behalf. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's another, like, what you might think. You might think, oh, it's not real. Therefore, it's you're making these sacrifices, and it's not worth it. That's a trap there for, like, pessimists or something, people <laughs> yeah. who are really down on the the United States in the post-truth era, you know? And, ah, yeah, you're right. It's just not even worth it. I'm going to end it all. I love it. Yeah. Speculative, just not... Where did worth come from? What is that? Yeah. All right, so D's out. E, obviously then a nation should always be thought of in metaphorical rather than literal terms. Whoa. (laughs) That's deep and wrong. Yeah, I mean, metaphorical thinking was never mentioned by the philosopher. Even if a nation does not literally have more... Uh, have moral rights or responsibilities literally it still does literally have a lot of things you know the grand canyon is a quite literal giant hole in the ground and i don't need to think of that in a metaphorical term i can think of that in very real terms of you know how wide it is and how deep it is and how beautiful it is whatever i i no what e he's a crazily wrong answer for a must be true question yeah, I wonder sometimes why the test writers write such bad answers. I mean, such answers that are so obviously wrong that no one would ever choose them. I mean, it's not, you know, of course it's somebody, but I wonder if they just get lazy. You know, they're like, I got to fill up five of these things. Let me just Could write be. something. I mean, it seems to me that they sort of intentionally want the correct answer one or two decent trap answers and then a couple shitty ones you know maybe it's it's to it's to help people get to the middle of the curve you know you can get it's it's actually man you can get to 150 if all you do is eliminate three answers on every question yeah that's already at least 150 i would think if you eliminated three answers on every question well, let me see. And if you get fifty, every question's a fifty-fifty. You get fifty point. You get fifty questions correct. What is that? That's probably not quite a one fifty. 
Uh, let's see here. Anyway, you get my point. Yeah, I get your point. Well, that's going to put you 145. Yeah. And let's say you get a couple of the really easy ones right. You know, now you're at 150 for sure. Yeah. And of course, this is assuming that you get to all the questions, right? So you'd have to do process elimination of for three answers on all the questions, basically. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and so our answer then is B. We avoided the trap in A and B matched our prediction. So number 16, B. Plus B starts, it's like the same letter as my first name. So, I mean, I'm pretty inclined to pick B anyway for that reason. But Is that what you would guess if you ran out of time? Would you Do you always guess B? Well, B tends to be right. So, I mean, that's another reason to pick it. I see. Yeah. Right. Thanks for that false advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's a pretty even split, actually. If you're curious and you're so inclined to be obsessed with these things, some people are. It's pretty... Pretty consistently, twenty percent A, twenty percent B, twenty percent C, twenty percent D, twenty percent E. So, if it weren't, everybody would latch on to whatever the answer is that's more likely to be the answer, and then the LSAC would have to correct for that yep. to avoid people gaming it like that. It's not, yeah, man. When I taught that power score class a million years ago, I couldn't believe how silly it was that they were showing these tables and charts and stuff about. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, people were memorizing like three different letters, like. Well, on the whole test, the, the the most common answer is D. Yeah. By a 1% margin or something. But it's actually, you know, it's the it, it's the reason why that happened is because D is the second most common answer on all three sections. And the first most common answer on reading comprehension is actually B. And on games, it's actually E. And on logical <laughs> reasoning, it's actually A. And so then people were like, oh, so I shouldn't guess D. I'll memorize these charts. And then it was like... But if you want to go a step deeper than that, on the last five questions <laughs> oh on each God. section, the analysis changes even more. <laughs> I'm like, wow, why are we teaching people all this? Just, okay, these, are, these might be facts, but they are useless facts. And instead, we could be worrying about understanding the argument and figuring out what they're asking you. Yeah, that's pretty bad. I should say, I think we've talked about this before, but it's actually very common for the LSAT to have uh, four answer choices in a row be the same answer, D, 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 yeah. D, or A, 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 A. And, you know, I can understand when sometimes students see that and they, they panic. They think, oh, I must have gotten one wrong because I have so many A's in a row. They would never do that. But look, they do it all the time. So. Uh, in, in an ideal world, you're not even noticing that. You're not even thinking about it. But if you do spot that, just don't think about it. Just press forward. Even if you get like five or six of the same answer in a row, well, at that point, you've probably gotten one wrong, but you have no idea which one. So you just, you can't like second guess the answer that you're on. You just got to move forward. Yeah, I I don't think you need to spend too much time thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I think it just what happens is people are bubbling in and they, they look at it and they start to panic. And it's just like, no, actually, it's pretty common to have four of the same. So Also, you don't know. It's not that the that shouldn't influence the next one because you might not have gotten any of those previous four right anyway. Yeah, exactly. If you don't, yeah. you don't know. And I think I've even seen like five in a row of the same letter before. Maybe I have. I know I've seen four in a row fairly commonly. So mm -hmm. you, if you're doing that kind of analysis, you're just wasting brain cycles. You should be using those cycles on reading more carefully and understanding and answering the questions. They're easier than you think they are, but 
as soon as you start worrying about the pattern that you're drawing on the bubble sheet, yeah, you know, that's uh, definitely the wrong thing to be thinking about. Yeah. Alrighty. Good times. Do we have anything else to say before we uh, end? That is the end of what I have on the agenda. We will be back probably, most likely, in another week. Please continue to ask us questions. Help at thinkinglsat.com. You can tweet the show at thinkinglsat. You can tweet me at nfox. You can tweet Ben at strategy prep. Yeah, call us, email us. Let us know what you think. Give us some compliments about the show, and we will uh, we'll keep making them for you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, then. Take care. Mm-hmm.